Thanks, Zach. Hey, it's good to be with you guys this morning. I want to start off by sharing a little bit of an update. As many of you know, I have been working with your church board through this crazy pastoral transition process and the uh, roller coaster of not only that process, but combine it with a pandemic. And we've had quite a, quite a run for this year. So but I wanted to give you an update. We're at a point with a candidate that we're scheduling an interview with the church board to explore the next step and see where the Lord is possibly leading for a, a pastor to be coming in the next few months, hopefully. And so be praying for your church board as we're preparing for this interview uh, coming hopefully this week and to be really asking the Lord to guide this. It's been the prayer of the board in mind that uh, this is not our will, this is God's will and that we're following his timing as crazy as that might seem. And uh, as you guys, those of you who've been following the Lord for a while, you know that God's timing is not always uh, what we would say is the timing we would want but it is the timing that he desires. And so just be praying for your board and, and for this candidate as well and his family as they're processing the possible, uh, possible move. I've talked with, and I'll share, I may, I may share with you again at some point, finding a pastor is not finding an, like finding an employee. It's really like finding a family member, maybe like an in-law without the shotguns. It's finding someone to join the family. And so we're just trying to take it seriously and ask the Lord to really guide that. So we'd really cover your prayers especially this week as we uh, pull those details together. I'm going to be sharing with you from the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to uh, pull those out and turn to the book of Matthew. Interesting thing about, uh, about life and about the human body. I don't know if you've ever noticed how your hair keeps growing. Now, I, I have to admit, some of my hair stopped growing. But you have to continually get your hair cut, right? I don't know, maybe every, every three weeks, maybe every four weeks, maybe every ten weeks. Depends on how you like your hair. Have you ever noticed your fingernails? They just keep growing. I think there was a point as a, as a teenager that I actually thought, could, could that stop at some point? Like, could I just stop trimming my, my fingernails at some point? I noticed at one point that uh, my grandparents... Uh, my grandfather, especially on my mom's side, had these really big ears and, these, and this really big nose. And I noticed in a picture of, of their, they had a wedding picture from he and, his, and my grandmother. And his ears and his nose weren't quite as big as what they were as I knew him now. And I thought, his ears continued to grow. His nose continued to grow. And I thought, oh, dear, is that what's going to happen to me, right? There's just something about this continual growth that never stops. And now I'm at a point where I'm plucking hairs from parts of my ears that I never thought I'd have to do. But, you know, you get to a point where these kind of things, hairs growing where they're not supposed to grow and not growing where they should be growing. This constant growth that you constantly have to manage. And there's something, I think, in that when Jesus talked about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That there's just this constant care that we have to continually give to our bodies, to ourselves. There's just something about that continual care that's important for us that he's asking us to consider, would you give that to others around you? So in, in the book of Matthew here, Matthew chapter 18, we have an interesting parable that starts off with a question from Peter in verse 21 where Jesus begins to talk, I think, in these similar terms of there's, this is just a continual process of life. 
It's where Peter asks Jesus, he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, just a note here, that's actually pretty gracious for Peter to suggest. You know, in their culture, one time would have been enough. Maybe two or three would have been very gracious. So for Peter to suggest seven is not really out of the question. It's really even above and beyond. He's giving a, how about up to seven times? This is pretty big. But look at Jesus Jesus' answer, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, some translations, the phrasing there could be translated as 70 times seven. I think for Peter, this was like a, whoa, mind blown here. I thought seven was quite a bit here. You're bumping it up a whole lot more here, Jesus. Then Jesus goes on with a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now just pause a moment. This is really not a preposterous idea. This was very common in their culture. It's not being sold into some kind of slave market. It's just that they would be sold into some kind of servanthood. Someone would buy them and they would become their, their maid or their butler or something of that sort. And it would pay off the debt to the master and they would live for so long under this agreement. This was very common in their day, so it wasn't really out of the ordinary. Most of the people hearing Jesus share this story for the first time are thinking, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But Jesus goes on. At this, the servant who owed the bags of gold fell on his knees before the master. Be patient with me, please, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Give me a chance, and I'll pay it all back. I promise, he's saying. The servant's master took pity on him. Uh Uh-oh. Business mistake number one, right? Never. This is where people in the audience are going, wait, wait, wait a minute. You said this master, this ruler, this, this probably a, a, what they were picturing as a, a really strong businessman is suddenly taking pity on someone who, who's just owing a debt. Wait a minute. This is, this is not how typically this plays out. But it gets even worse as Jesus goes on and says he canceled the debt. Wait a minute. Now, we would understand if he renegotiated the debt, right? Why don't we drop the, the interest rate a couple of points maybe, right? Why don't, we make your, why don't we re-amortize this and make your payment lower? Let's stretch this out for another 25 years. Let's work something here. That's, that's really gracious, right? That's a big step to say, look, I'll work with you, okay? I'll be patient and we'll work out the negoti- negotiate these terms here, okay? But that's not the story. This is, this is where the people listening to Jesus are going, wait a minute, he cancels the debt completely? But it gets worse. Jesus says, and... He let him go, cancels the debt, lets him go as if there's nothing that he's ever going to follow up on. These are three big business mistakes, one right after the other. But Jesus is teaching something so against the grain here, something so countercultural. He goes on with an interesting twist, though. The servant then goes out, and he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him Just a simple hundred silver coins. He grabs him and begins to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me, he demands. His fellow servant, in similar fashion, falls 
to his knees and begs, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Exact same phrase and language. But the servant refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Honestly, this is what should have been done anyway. This is not out of the ordinary. This is typically what happens. When the other servants saw what had happened, however, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. So then the master calls this servant back in. You wicked servant, he says, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And Jesus sums it up with this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, Jesus' parables actually have a very similar pattern in all of them. There's this there's typical story that everybody's like, yeah, I'm familiar with this story. There's a master, he has a servant who owes him money, and he has to deal with this debt. But Jesus always throws in a big twist. There's one story where the, the story is the servants come to the master who owns these fields, and they say, the fields are full of weeds. Do you want us to go pull the weeds? Well, everyone expects this master to say, sure, because if you don't pull those weeds, it's going to choke our harvest. We're going to have a bad harvest. It's going to choke all of our crops. So, yes, please go and pull the weeds. But instead, Jesus throws a twist and says, no, I don't want you to pull the weeds. I want you to let them go because at the harvest time, we'll sort it out. Now, Jesus is not saying this is how we actually should handle our fields, nor is he saying this is how we should handle debt and, and uh, finances in the kingdom Uh, in, in the world around us, but he's saying there's something different about this kingdom than what the world is going to teach you. The world's patterns are going to teach you how to live a certain way. And Jesus is saying to his followers, be careful, because those patterns are not the patterns that we live in the kingdom. Here's what uh, is interesting in this. Now, the parts we've highlighted this, this morning already, this idea of he took pity on him. Jesus is, is giving a twist to the master himself. And it's really suddenly no longer about the debt. And so Jesus, to some degree, may not be talking about your financial debts or the debts of those that, that are held, that you hold against others, as much as he's saying, this is about people. And when a person sees a person, there's an opportunity for compassion. The language there, we, we have it translated here as t taking pity, but the word is, is a deep, rich word of, of a compassion that is, that is just a, a depth of, of a person's heart. It's not just a, eh, all right, let's see, I'll take care of this. I have some pity on you because I feel sorry for you. It's a, it's a deeply ingrained compassion that this master felt, something that, that was at the core of his being, something that came from his gut, so to speak. That he says this master suddenly had this gut feeling of compassion towards this person. Perhaps this is really the key that, I, that, that Jesus seems to be teaching us about living into the kingdom. Is that when we can find ourselves with this gut feeling of compassion towards others. Perhaps even those who have hurt us, who have wronged us. 
who have done something against us. And another interesting part is this language of Peter's question and Jesus' answer of how many times do I need to forgive my brother or sister? How often do I need to show this kind of mercy? And Jesus' answer of 77 times or 70 times 7 seems like to us, well, that's just Jesus saying a whole lot, right? Because how many of us are really going to keep track? Well, I'm down to 53, so I've only got, what's that, 20-some more to forgive this person. I hope I can get through this, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. Or even to say, some of you might even be able to say, I'm up to 427. I've got 490, 70 times 7, so I'm not too far off now. Just a few more, and then I can be done with forgiving this person, right? That's not quite what Jesus is saying. But he's also not just saying, do it so many times that you forget. This phrase is interesting because it shows up in the book of Daniel. Some of you might be familiar with the book of Daniel. Daniel has some prophecies about the coming of the Messiah and such, and many people are throwing a lot of these little prophecies around nowadays. Well, Daniel's prophecy was specifically about the coming of Jesus, and there's something in there where these people of God are in captivity. They've been slaves to the king of Babylon, and they've been promised that 70 years they would be released, that the prophets Jeremiah and such have said it'll be 70 years, you're going to be in captivity, so settle down, live your lives, have children, marry off your children. This is the part where Jeremiah says, for I know, God says, I know through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. It's in that context that God is saying, be patient, 70 years, and then Daniel comes out with this new revelation from God to say, wait a minute, guys. Yeah, 70 years, we'll get back to to Jerusalem, and we'll get back to our country, but it's going to be 70 times 7 before we see the Messiah. And this was this big revelation for them. Wait a minute, we thought maybe getting back to Babylon would be the perfect time for a Messiah to show up, right? We're going to need a new king. Let's get that Messiah, and he's going to conquer all the other nations around us, and we're going to be the triumphant nation that all the other nations will look towards. We're going to be like Babylon is right now because we're going to go back and take all that we've learned, and we're going to put it into place, and we're going to have this great and glorious time. And Daniel's saying, no, 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 guys, let's, we'll go back, and we'll rebuild But be patient, 70 times 7 before the fulfillment. It's almost as if Jesus is using the language of Daniel, which was a be patient, live this life that you were called to, and God will do in his time what needs to be done, is is what Jesus is saying. Peter, this is a life to be lived. Forgiveness is not something you do and you check it off that someday you can be done doing. Jesus says, no, this is a life that we live in the kingdom. It's a kingdom of mercy. We celebrate God's mercy, don't we? That God's amazing grace that none of us deserved and yet he still offers it to us. And praise God for that testimony that many of us can share. And all he's asking us is to do the same in return. Would you offer that same mercy, that same grace to your neighbors? At one point, Jesus even says, Don't just do it to the people that you like to do it to. Can you even offer that to your enemies? Because that's the fullness of this love. The fullness of this mercy. 
This is a life that Jesus is saying. See, in their, in their day, this idea of the ages, the, they understood they were in an, a certain age, that there was an age to come. And so this age that Daniel's prophesying about would come with, a, with the Messiah to come. And then this new age, this age to come that they were preparing for would be the time that the Messiah would bring all to fulfillment. And yet there's something even more that Jesus is saying as he is the Messiah, and it's not fully coming to fulfillment as Jesus is saying, we're going to do this a little differently than you guys might have expected. Because suddenly what happens is the Messiah comes, and he initiates this kingdom, but he doesn't bring it to fulfillment. And this is the, the age that we find ourselves in. This age that, that they never expected is an age that's waiting for still the age to come and yet is still different than the age that was. And so we're in this new age where there's this time of, of the, the kingdom has been inaugurated. It's been initiated by Jesus and yet it's not fully fulfilled. It's already here and now, but it's not yet completed. And some of what Jesus is saying is in this already not yet, Live this out over and over for the time that God has us to live it out because this is the kingdom of mercy that we're buying into. And that's where Jesus is talking about at the very end, forgiving your brother and sister from your heart. Not just a head game, checking it off a list, making sure you did it, but asking God to get that deep into the core of who you are, to the very gut of your being. Say, God, I want this to be who we are, who I am, because that's who you are. It's the image of God, really. The very heart of what we believe the image of God is, is the image of love, mercy, grace, compassion. And he's simply asking us, to reflect that into our world. My girls have uh, been learning a, a new recipe. It's called cookie dough. Anybody familiar with cookie dough? It's a recipe where you, it's not cookie dough that you actually bake into cookies. It's cookie dough that you eat as cookie dough. I still haven't, got, I still haven't wrapped my brain around this. And part of the recipe is you have to take this flour and you have to put it in the microwave and heat it up for a certain amount of time. And then once it's done heated, that, that way it removes, I guess, some bacteria and stuff that you need to remove so you don't get sick. And then you add the other ingredients and you mix it all up and it turns into this cookie dough that you never make cookies out of. And I now have these containers of cookie dough, like two or three at a time in my refrigerator. That I just, every time I open the refrigerator, think someday I'd like to have a cookie out of that. But I know I'm not going to get to. And so part of learning the recipe for my daughters was figuring out what's the best time in our microwave to heat up this flour. And so as you can imagine, we've gone through several different versions of smoke coming out of the microwave, smells that are wafting through of burnt flour. If you've never sm smelt it, I don't wish it upon any of you. It's a crazy, crazy smell. But over time, my, my daughters have learned the recipe. A crazy thing, right? Some of you with me, hopefully, that they found this recipe on TikTok. TikTok, of all places. I thought recipes were in books, but no, they're now on TikTok. They've learned this recipe enough 
to where they don't even have to pull up TikTok. They don't even have to follow a written down recipe anymore. They know how much flour to put in and they know how long to cook it and they know all the ingredients that go into it. It's just kind of become a habit for them. Unfortunately, a regular habit. And I never get a cookie out of it. It's kind of like this, what we're looking at here this morning. That it took them a while. They had to toy with the recipe a bit. And our microwave's unique, as all microwaves are. We had to figure out the exact mix. And some of them like a little more chocolate chips than the other ones do. And so there's, that's why there's two or three different versions in the refrigerator. Because they've got a, this is Aubrey's and this is Mally's. And, this is, and I, I'm not allowed to touch them. And if I do, I'm going to get scolded by my 15-year-old daughter. But they have all these different ways of making it. That bits just become part of their life. They've learned the ingredient. But it took them a few tries. And they stumbled. And they messed it up a few times. And all they did was just get back to the recipe and keep moving on. And to some degree, this seems to be what Jesus is saying. As we continually practice this way of mercy, it'll become a part of who we are. And it'll start coming from our heart. It'll come from the depths of who we are. And this is the goal. This is Jesus saying to Peter, it's a lot. It's going to take more than seven. But don't give up. Be patient. Keep practicing this mercy. Because it'll become a part of who you are. And you can fully reflect your heavenly father this way. I don't know who that might be for you this morning. I have to admit there's a situation that my family and I are walking through that this is, this is a timely message for us. And practicing mercy after someone has done something against you is not easy. I wish Jesus would have just said, yeah, seven should be good. I wish Jesus would have said, really, just two or three, Peter, that's enough. Don't go for seven. That's way too many. But this is challenging me. Let this be a part of who you are, even in the midst of those darkest relationships. Would you be willing to take a moment to reflect on who that might be in your life? Maybe it's a coworker, maybe someone at school, maybe somebody in your neighborhood, or maybe even a family member. Would you be willing to just pray with me this morning, ask the Lord to continue to nudge you to be a person of mercy? Let's pray together. Father, you know all of the trials and challenges that are represented here in this room. And Father, I, I believe that in this room there are even a few who have had what I think all of us would agree might be unforgivable acts towards them. And I don't want to diminish that in any way, shape, or form, Father, because there are things that people have done that are so atrocious in our world. But I also know in some bizarre way you have called us to be a people of mercy, to represent a kingdom of mercy. And I'm learning as well, Lord, that the harder the incident, the more challenging the mercy I pray, Lord, that you guide us in taking the first step 
of looking at those who have wronged us with compassion. To somehow see them as you would see them, Father, as someone who doesn't know how they're hurting other people or someone who does know and doesn't know how to stop or maybe somebody who's had a broken and ruined life themselves or somehow, Father, help us find that place to look at those people with compassion as you do. That we might find it in our hearts to simply say, I forgive them. To somehow practice this mercy not just one time and check it off a list, not just a few times or several, but over and over, Father, like a recipe for life. May we continually work at this life of forgiveness. So important that you put it into your model prayer. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. For this is your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That, Father, when we cross over into heaven, we can look back and be grateful for that perseverance in forgiveness. That even in the midst of this life we are here now, in this age of the already but not yet kingdom, that even in the midst of the challenge of forgiveness, we can say, thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that in the midst of these steps and trials and challenges, we can always say, it is well with my soul. To give you praise and glory for your amazing grace that is the model for us to live out that someday will be fulfilled. Until then, may we be faithful. In Jesus, your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.